as a brand, it's an opportunity to say, okay, how can we maybe change those things to serve everybody that we want to serve now? Recognizing your mistakes and admitting that you've made those mistakes, I think is really okay and important to do. I never mind being wrong. And sometimes that people find that a little disturbing, but I don't care. Welcome to the Boss Bay Podcast, a place where we share with you the real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Danielle Canty, president and co-founder of Boss Babe, and your host for this episode. Now, today I am interviewing Christina Mace Turner, founder of Mab and Stoke. And if you're not familiar with Mab and Stoke, it's actually a herbal wellness company that combines century-old herbal medicine with cutting-edge technology to create an amazing Mab Tab, which is essentially a super tab to equip people with a prophylactic formula to wellness. Now, Christina has a really interesting story because she wasn't always an entrepreneur, which I know a lot of you listening will identify with because she actually began her career at a major corporate role. She led business affairs and content strategy at the very beginning of Apple. Well, not the very beginning, but before we actually launched the iPhone and the App Store. So after working at Apple for three years in a huge company, she decided she wanted to get a taste of a startup world. And in this interview, Christina really lifts the lid on the stark difference between the two. And I actually think it's a conversation that is not had an awful lot because when you go from being a corporate to a startup, even if your role is named exactly the same, the job is actually very, very different. And so we really talk about the difference around this and actually why she was intentional about making this career move because what she wanted to do was instead of leaving Apple and starting up her own business straight away, she decided to get experience at a startup at the ground level before doing so, so that she could actually apply what she had learned to her new business and fast track that learning experience, which I just think is so smart to do. And anyone who is thinking about starting their business, if you can have capacity and you do have time and you're not really sure what to do, joining a startup first is a really, really good idea. So I know you're going to love this interview as much as I do. And I really want you to make sure you stay right to the very end because Christina gives some really actionable takeaways on how to get started if you're looking to launch your own business. And as always, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your favorite takeaways and tag us on Insta stories at myself, Danielle Canty, and tag also at bossbabe.inc. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. It's such an honor to have you on here, and I'm really excited to be sharing your journey with everyone today. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be joining you. So as you know, Boss Babe, we have so many ambitious women following us and often their ambition takes them in all kinds of directions. We have women listening who are climbing the career ladder. We have women who are running successful businesses. And we also have women who are really in the position of discovering where they want to go and what they want to do. And that's why I'm really, really excited to open up conversation with you today because you've kind of gone from the two extremes. Your history is that you worked at Apple, a huge corporate company. Company. And I know you are leading the business affairs content strategy there. And now you've actually just launched in January 2020, your new business, Mab and Stoke. So I'd love for us to really dive into that journey and get all the details that no one talks about and really just lift the lid on that. So thank <laughs> you again for coming on. Let's start maybe with your journey at Apple. 
Sure. What can I tell you about Apple? I guess I should say that I ended up there in a very unusual way. And I think one of the takeaways that I would share with other people is that there is a path that people tell you to take, a way to do things. And then there is this other path, hoping things work out or you're following the things that you're passionate about. And I have just consistently always chosen the other path. And so that can be a little bit scary at times. But just to be honest, that's more my nature. And so for some people, that's not comfortable. But for me, the way that worked was I knew that Apple was looking to start a business affairs function because I had been freelancing. I had taken some time off after having my kids and I was freelancing at an advertising agency that did their commercials and basically just trying to make money. And the head of business affairs at this agency said, hey, Apple really wants to start this function at the company. Could you talk to them? And I thought, sure, why wouldn't I want to talk to them? But that's ridiculous. But because I knew that if I had sent my resume in at that point, no one would have ever spoken to me there. Mm -hmm. But I had this odd little way in. And so I met them and nine interviews later, had pitched them an idea for what the function could be for their company, which had very different needs, of course, because nobody had ever done the things that Apple was doing at the time. They had just launched the iPhone. They were really getting heavily into the content business. We're just about to launch the App Store. Anyway, I just sort of went for it. And so that was the beginning of my time at Apple was creating a function that I really didn't know very much about. I didn't mm -hmm. have background, deep background in what I was doing necessarily, but I was working more from instinct and problem solving for what they needed. And that's how it all began. I love that as well. You just openly said I was really working from instinct because I think that's one thing. And when you look at studies of people applying for jobs and particularly women, I think it's like something men will see a job description. If they can do 30% of it, they'll apply for the job. Whereas yeah. a woman won't apply and like feels that she can complete at least 80% of that job description. And yeah. I think just like you saying there very openly, yes, you got in there, but then it was more an instinct and learning as you're going, you're like, okay, right, this is what I'm going to do next. I think that's just really powerful for every woman to hear and go off that we have to have all the answers sometimes and sometimes we just need to lean into that intuition because intuition is powerful. Yes, it's so true. And I don't mean to say that I wasn't deeply embarrassed about not knowing what I was doing a lot of the time. So I would often walk across campus and find strangers and ask them questions. I have <laughs> this very distinct memory of asking this one sort of nerdy guy who I ran into can you just explain to me uh, what is bandwidth? Like, I didn't even realize that it was an expression that people didn't have bandwidth. Could you explain to me how this lack of bandwidth is impacting the company? It was that silly, but true. There are just times that we don't know things. And I think in a corporate environment, there's a real expectation that people are going to fake it until they make it. And they're going... Mm -hmm to that they come in with what is some people deem professionalism, right? This idea that everybody should know every single thing associated with their job. But the truth is, that is not how it works at all. That most people don't know a lot of the time, and they're figuring it out. And it's the figuring it out that you're really being paid to do. The other stuff, if it was that easy to do, it would just be sort of fungible roles, right? It wouldn't really matter who you hired. And so it's different. That. That is so, so true. It really is. We're being paid to figure it out. So I feel like that is the perfect 
I know you'll set up your own business now, but I really feel like that is the perfect like stepping stone for anybody. If you feel in your role, figuring things out, then you could do business because that's what it's about as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. So you were at Apple and how long did you stay there before you started getting that itchy feet and kind of going, okay, what else is out there and where do I want to go? Well, I used to say that Apple was a little bit like dog ears because it's a very intense place Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff happened while I was there. But I would say after we launched the App Store and I started to focus a lot of my role on working with developers and in particular, working with traditional industries, the media industry, you know, magazines, Mm -hmm. newspapers, and trying to help them transform their experiences into online experiences, specifically on our platform, not just porting an offline experience, but really making something special and leveraging the technology in a way that created something that was better for consumers, better for the Mm -hmm. business. That became a real passion for me. And I got to know more and more people in the startup world. And what I thought was so cool about them was it was such a range, right? It could be a big corporation or someone just working in their garage. And what really separated the value of their work or the real differentiator was great ideas that could actually be implemented. And I just love that. Mm-hmm. It was such a level playing field. You could have a great idea, but could you implement it? Yeah. And so that was just really appealing to me. And I knew that I wanted to get into the startup world, but I also knew what a different environment that is from a corporate one where you're at Apple and everybody picks up the phone when you call Everyone wants to work with you. You have a lot of salary security and things like that. But I don't know. I started to feel the itch around then. About three and a half years in, I left. and I went to a startup called Flipboard. And if you don't know Flipboard, they aggregate news feeds. And it was one of the first real news readers where you could read everything going on from social streams to the New York Times all in one place. And so that was really cool to me. And at the time, it was a very big deal. Now you sort of see it everywhere and don't realize what a big deal it was, but it was. And so when I went there, I really went to learn how to run a startup and I learned a lot and it was very different. (laughs) It was very shockingly different. Yeah. So how do you consciously at that point, consciously or unconsciously, thought, hang on a minute, you're at Apple, then you leave to go and work at this startup, or did you thought at that point is I want to leave and get some startup experience because I want to have my own startup one day? Or was it like, oh, yes. on. okay. No, like 100% it. I knew I wanted to run my own company. But I also knew from working with enough entrepreneurs in my role at Apple that you couldn't just sort of force it. You really had to come into it, understand the problems you were trying to solve, Mm -hmm. and then find a path to solving them. And so I just knew that it was so different that I really needed that experience. And it was great, but it was total madness. I actually never thought that I could work harder than I worked at Apple, but I did. And I kind of have since. Maybe I've become a little addicted to that, but I love what I do. So it's not a problem. So let's talk about that. The difference between corporate and a working in a startup, because I also think this is also a big conversation which does not get had. I've always worked in like startups or had my own startup. I've never worked in a big corporate company. And neither has Natalie. And it has been really interesting for us when we've employed people from corporate companies. And I mean, we've learned a lot and they've learned a lot because things are so different. So what were some of the stark contrasts that you saw between those two roles right at that very beginning? 
Yeah, I guess the first thing is actually Apple is kind of a unique company because while it is a very hierarchical organization, right? If somebody is above you on the ladder, they can abuse you to no end, right? And that was something that happened there all the time, which I didn't really enjoy, despite what a great company it is. The interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. and that type of pressured environment can be very negative. But in a startup, it's so different. In fact, I remember Mike McHugh, who was the CEO and founder of Flipboard, said to me when I joined them, and I was like, what's my title going to be? That was my first question. Like, what's my title? I'm going to be something big, right? (laughs) He was actually, I don't want anybody to have titles because everybody on this team needs you will walk the trash out just as much as you're going to go and do big deals for us and help grow the company. And I sort of took that in at first on an intellectual level, but it took me emotionally a long time to really absorb that and then see it play out in the midst of a startup. Because in a startup, you're just so under-resourced that you are just entirely dependent on your colleagues to perform. And every single role is just as important as the other roles. They're different but they're just as important because you're so undersourced and because it's so mission-driven and there's so much at stake and there's so little margin for error. Whereas in a large corporate environment, people make mistakes all the time. They'll make a half a million dollar mistake one day and throw it away and think nothing of it. But that's not the case for a startup. And so because of that, the structure tends to be very flat and everybody has a say which is something you really have to get used to. And I love, now I can't imagine working in an environment where there isn't a voice for everybody that I'm working with. But definitely in a corporate environment, that's not the case. And honestly, I think that's been the reason for so much failure to adapt in like the media industry and and other areas like that. They're just very hierarchical. Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. The other day, the team and I were talking about how much our audience loves biohacking. And whenever we release content based around creating better habits for our lifestyle and health, you all seem to really soak it up and request more. So I wanted to share about our podcast sponsor, Prolon, today because I've never seen a company like this. Prolon is a revolutionary plant-based nutrition program that nourishes the body while making cells believe that they're fasting. There are so many strategic benefits to fasting and Prolon helps you hit these goals without actually needing to fast. 
Prolon's five-day program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all designed to keep your body in a fasted state. And you get everything pre-packaged, labeled, and ready to go, so there's no guesswork. It's super simple, and it works. Extended fasting of at least two to three days has proven to produce unique benefits like cellular rejuvenation, metabolic support, and increased cardiovascular health. So if you're ready for a fasting program that doesn't leave you hungry or exhausted and instead gives you more energy, I highly recommend giving Prolon a try. Right now, Prolon is offering Boss Babe podcast listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash boss babe. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash boss babe for this special offer. Prolonlife.com slash boss babe. Yeah, it's been really interesting, actually. I've said when we've had people come from big corporate companies, Natty and I have never been fussed about titles. And when we first started, we never gave any thought to what do you want to call yourself if you want to name yeah. what do you want to call yourself. And it was real eye opener for us. Then like when people came from bigger companies, those came from startups, the same as us, they didn't really give two hoots what they were called. They, sure. they, they had that. But those who came from bigger <laughs> companies, well, what is my title? And hang on, my title means this. And we were like, huh? It took us a minute to understand. And I think you're so right in startups, in ours now, sometimes people think, oh yeah, we got how many, all these employees, and like, there's nine of us. And we have a really flattened, you know, we've been asked a lot, like, well, who's your executive team? Who's on there? And I'm like, executive team? We all muck in. Right. We have such a flat structure and we've been very conscious about keeping it that way. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, like you say, if you start building these management layers too early, it actually really does stifle your ability to pivot and change and hear what's actually happening. And you said, though, in a startup, you can't afford to make those costly errors. You have to listen and you have to move quickly versus being able to say, oh, yeah, we just made that mistake. It cost half a million. It's fine. That would start up under. Yes, it's a big deal. A big deal. So I really love that we're having this conversation because I also think this is, again, when people are applying for roles and if they're coming from that corporate industry, I think it's nice as a conversation not really had the difference because there really is a stark difference between a startup and a corporate company and whether you're owning it or being part of it, it's there. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So let's just go back to you at Flipboard for three and a half years, loving it, working super hard. Actually, I was at Apple for three and a half years. And then I was at Flipboard for two years. Two years, got it. Which was a lot of flying back and forth from California to New York, but I learned a ton. And then after that, I consulted for a while. I knew I wanted to start my own company and I was also feeling a little burnt out. And so that's when I started to get recruited for various things. And one of the things that I was recruited for was this non-toxic hair company. For me, you have to understand, my head was 100% in the technology world at that point. Mm -hmm. So just the thought of trying to explain to my former colleagues that I would be working in a space that had to do with hair care just made every hair on my arm stand up. Like it just sounded so not interesting. (laughs) So anyways, but that said, I was flattered to be recruited for this thing. And so I started just casually looking into the space of non-toxic personal care and what was going on there and where I thought the opportunities was I thought at least I would help out this business owner in thinking about his business. And what I found was really surprising to me, I realized that in fact, we buy most of our personal care products based on some sort of assessment of value associated with price. And so that was kind of interesting. And then 
At the same time, I had a neighbor who then became my business partner who was had a non-toxic skincare company in a little strip mall in the town where I was living. And she gave me this face oil. The company is called True Botanicals. And she gave me this face oil to try and said, try it. It's so much better than what you've been using, which was this very expensive, now I can't stand the way it smells, uh, cream called Creme de la Mer. Nobody could believe I would buy it, but I did. And anyway, she was right. It worked so much better. So that was really interesting because I thought, oh, I've always thought of myself as a relatively intelligent person. And yet I've fallen into this sort of space of assumptions about personal care and how this industry works and what's good for me and what's not. And then I thought, well, how is it that nobody knows about this stuff? I realized that we make all these assumptions about personal care and that there are all these wonderful brands that made efficacious, non-toxic products all over the place, but none of them ever scaled. They never really got above $4 million in sales. And at the time, I think that was in large part because they didn't really use technology in the way that other companies I saw around me were really growing. So they didn't have a quiz. They didn't have naming conventions and other signals that you consider in UX design and human interface design really integrated into this offline experience. So I saw a lot of potential to take things that I had learned from digital products and to pull in this category of non-toxic skincare products. And because I love them so much and I knew they were better for people's health, I just went for it. Mm -hmm. And I purchased the company, which had been in business for about a year And we renamed it and redid all the products and stuff and rebuilt the website and had this amazing experience of learning as I was doing. A lot of the time I think back, I didn't really know, again, what I was doing. But the thing that is cool when you work in the digital space is that there's a lot of flexibility and the ability on a daily basis to take in new information and act on it like relatively quickly. And when you make your own products that you sell to people, you can change them. So if the world supply of tuberose is suddenly diminished and you can't get it, you can use another ingredient that's equally as efficacious, but you're not stuck like people are in third-party retail models where they have to always produce exactly the same product because it's sitting on the shelves for years. So it was a very interesting experience and we grew really fast. We were very fortunate. I love that. And I think it's just really good reflection as well of being able to say that flexibility that you do have in those early days when you're creating your own product and selling on your site, but also being able to look at a business and go, actually, these are some things that we can improve upon. And I guess that's also another amazing thing about your journey, right? So we're going from Apple working into a startup to buying into a business and developing that business and improving that business. So I feel like you've you've got a wealth of experience here, Christina. (laughs) I've done a lot of different things. It's true. And it was a good step for me because my business partner had really done a lot of the early legwork and we had great products already to work with because the product development phase, the R&D phase is extremely important because no matter what you build, if your product isn't great, it's just not going to work. Maybe, but it's not the kind of business I would ever want to run yeah. anyway. You want to be able to start by your product, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So what was the next steps? Okay. So after that, really started to grow. And then I was there for about two and a half years. And I left totally burned out and thinking I would not work again for at least a year because I don't know, I'm not one of those people who has the capacity to work in moderation. 
And I wish that I was sometimes. However, I don't think that I would have necessarily done the things I've done. And I've enjoyed what I've had the opportunity to do. But I just needed some space to think about what I wanted to do next or not think about it. And so basically, I started a personal journey of just trying to heal my body. Like my back was hurting me. My sleep was terrible. I looked over at my side table and I had been running a non-toxic skincare company. And at the same time, my countertop was covered in pharmaceuticals <laughs> trying to hold me all together, yeah. if I'm totally honest. And so I decided to study to become a community herbalist and to learn more about plant medicine. This is, sounds kind of out of left field, except for the fact that my mother made tinctures when I was a kid, and I've always been into plants. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily growing them, but using them for healing and wellness and preventive care. And I had just been raised that way. And when I hurt my back, that was one of the main ways that I actually healed my back was by juicing ginger and turmeric and celery every day over a period of months. And I got rid of all this inflammation. And it's just become part of my lifestyle to use plants to feel better. So I wanted to figure out, though, what was this whole world? What were the organizing principles of plant medicine? There's that has been practiced around the world for thousands of years. I don't know if you know this, but 80% of the world relies on herbal medicine as their primary health care. So that's a lot of people. But in this country, we don't know very much about it because Mm -hmm. of the way things are regulated and the way MDs are educated in this country. There is a failure to educate around this very helpful area. There are more and more functional medicine doctors and integrative medicine doctors, which is wonderful. They're not that many. So anyway, I set out to educate myself. I had so much fun. And basically within four weeks of really committing myself to a solid regimen of taking plants every day in the proper amounts of the right plants for my body and my needs, I felt amazing. I was sleeping through the night. My energy was so much better. I had such a great feeling inside of me all the time. And it was someone turned the volume up on my physical self and my mental self. Emotionally, I felt really good too, because my body felt so good. And so anyway, I really wanted to share that with the people that I love, my husband, my friends. And so I started making teas for them. I would mix up all these different plants and making custom tinctures for them and basically playing doctor without just (laughs) trying to give them the things that I thought would make them feel better because everybody around me was complaining about how they feel all the time. And so what I found was that people get really excited for about a week to have this novel thing, and then they would just fall off and stop taking it. And so I thought, okay, that is really unfortunate. What do I need to do to make it better? And I started to think about the problem more as a design problem. The whole space of herbal supplements has always been like a have to do instead of a want to do space. And so as I thought about it, I was like, okay, why don't I think about the form factor for the supplement itself? And just at that time, I got sort of, I love Japanese design. And so I got into looking into Japanese tea ceremonies and the little sweets that they serve in those tea ceremonies are called higashi. They're basically very fancy sugar cubes. So I ordered some higashi molds and I started taking plants, uh, powdered plant extracts and molding them in the higashi molds. And I gave them first to my husband and then to some friends. And really quickly, one, two things happened. People started to get results and 
they took them every day and I didn't have enough time to make enough of these little, what we now call Mab tabs to keep everybody in Mab tabs every day. It was a very time consuming <laughs> activity, but I realized that if you could give it to them in a form that they enjoyed, that tapped into all of their senses, it smelled good, it tasted good, it sounded good coming out of the wrapper and all those things that attract us to an experience, then you have something really special. And so that's where I came up with the idea for Mab and Stoke. It was just how do I take 10 different products and just combine them into one thing you only have to do once a day that even my mother would take. And I figured that out, honestly, and that's why I mentioned R&D before, over the course of really, it took about nine months to almost a year to get the product right. It was actually incredibly challenging to make it scale, but we figured it out. So that's how Map and Stoke came about. And that's what we're up to, trying to help people feel great. I love this because I think like this journey is the journey that so many women either go on or they want to go on. And I just think hearing firsthand from you and like how, like, because Natty and I always openly talk about it. She was like the born entrepreneur. That was not me. I kind of fell more into entrepreneurship. But I yeah. actually want to talk about your story is that you are intentional about your entrepreneurship. So you are, okay, you got that corporate experience. And then I love that you told how, yes, you wanted to have a startup, but you didn't jump straight into that. I'm not saying everyone has to do this way, but I like how you sought out a startup and went and learned a little bit more on the ground and understood what that would look like. And then I love how that story evolved to, they say, working with some alongside somebody else to actually going, okay, I would like my own company. Let me, rather than just making a rash decision, going, this is what I'm going to do, allowing yourself that time to explore and play and learn and listen to feedback until you're like, okay, now I have that business. Because I feel like what a lot of people end up doing is really trying to force themselves with a lack of patience down the road. Yes, by all means do that. But sometimes it's kind of just taking that step back and putting that intention out there saying, okay, I want my own business and I'm going to have my eyes open to all opportunities around what might be the right thing. And I'm going to be patient in allowing that to really kind of with research and with going down and looking at things, but I'm also going to allow that to come to me and play with some of those ideas that I'm finding exploring until I find out what's right. Because the entrepreneurial journey is definitely not easy as I'm sure. No, it's hard. Next, we talk about, yeah, raising. And you said that you thought you could never work harder than you did when you were at Apple. Let me ask you now, Christina, do you work harder now in your own business than you did when you were at Apple? Oh my God, of course, yes. (laughs) It's a live and breathe type thing, isn't it? (laughs) But it's a very different sort of feeling because when you're working for a big corporation, you're part of a machine. That gets back to the title thing. Why do people place such importance on titles and big machines? Because there's so little importance placed on the individual when you're in the big machine, because you're serving something else, something other than yourself, right? Even if you're a designer at Apple, you're working in a very tiny little box because that brand was designed a long time ago and you can incrementally innovate on it. But if you change it drastically, it no longer feels like the brand. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this episode so far. Please stay tuned as we share a bit of info about who sponsored this episode. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Now, if you've been following us at Boss Babe for a little while, then you know we are all about self-education. There's something just so rewarding about teaching yourself a new skill or deepening your existing passion. And since most of us have been indoors for a little while, it is literally the perfect time to start a new course. So I want to share with you all about Skillshare because it's actually an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people just like myself. 
and just like you. And members get unlimited access to thousands of amazing classes with hands-on projects from a community of millions. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable. It's actually less than $10 a month on an annual subscription. And I want to tell you guys about this class I recently completed called Personal Branding, Crafting Your Social Media Presence, taught by Kate Arendes. Now, it's no secret that I'm not the most comfortable putting myself forward on social media. Luckily, I have a business bestie that is, which allows me to stick into my zone of genius of the operations and the strategy and being a little bit more behind the scenes. I definitely strive to overcome a few of my insecurities about putting myself forwards on social media and having that online presence. And I think it's certainly important in the space a lot of us in right now and how we connect with our audience and how we show up for our community. And that's why this course is exactly what I was looking for to do in my spare time. And I learned strategic ways to create, evolve and leverage my online presence and growth. And what else I loved about this course is not only was it really insightful, but it actually gave downloadable worksheets. So you're actually working through each step and implementing what you're learning right away. And I can honestly say I learned so much in just 65 minutes. I think it's really important to be constantly evolving, reading new things, watching new things, innovating and learning fresh ideas. And I certainly did that in just 65 minutes and it was a complete game changer. Now this class is just one of many marketing courses that Skillshare has to offer. So all of our Boss Babe listeners actually receive two free months of premium membership by heading over to skillshare.com forward slash Boss Babe. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. You just need to head to skillshare.com forward slash Boss Babe. Okay, so skillshare.com forward slash Boss Babe. And that's going to allow you to get two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes. And we're back. Let's jump back into today's episode. And so when you create your own brand, what I've done now, yes, it's so much work, but it's incredibly gratifying. And the other thing is, I will add that I just love is I love running a startup by myself. (laughs) I really love not having a business partner because I can make decisions that I would otherwise have to spend a lot of energy convincing somebody else to do. That is not to say that having business partners is a bad thing. But for me, I know about myself that part of the skill set that I bring to the table is my ability to make decisions and to take risks. And so right now, I've been thinking a lot about all the business models that I have seen in the brands that I admire, the direct-to-consumer brands, right? Because that's the space that I'm in. And I think, actually, I think we really missed something. I think we've missed an opportunity. All these give-back brands, and we're a give-back brand. We plant a tree for every purchase somebody makes because the environment is so important to us. Our packaging is sustainable. But that's not really enough. And so here we are in this moment where you would have to be living in a cave somewhere to not recognize the kind of cultural and economic crisis that is happening in this country. And as a brand, as a company, how are we going to respond? And to me, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say, okay, things have been done one way before. And now, how can we maybe change those things to serve everybody that we want to serve now? We have failed to do that to date. And recognizing your mistakes and admitting that you've made those mistakes, I think is really okay. 
and important to do. I never mind being wrong. And sometimes that people find that a little disturbing, but I don't care. That's just the truth, but I'm still going to go for it. And so I've been thinking a lot about economic inclusion, and we're actually going to launch something in a week, which really speaks to that. And it's a very different model. And it really focuses on the power of community and what we really mean by community today, particularly with digital brands. So it should be interesting. I love that. I think it's really, really powerful and just being able to see those gaps and see those reflections and learn from mistakes and learn from past things is just really, really important in life and in business. And I think that's the way we all learn and grow. And that is so, so crucial. And I thank you so much for sharing that piece as well. So I want to make sure, we always like to make sure these are super actionable. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. If someone was listening to this and they're, okay, I'm in my nine till five, I want to have my own business. What are some action steps that you feel have been really helped you move the needle and move forward that you would advise people to do? Okay. A couple of things, because I do get asked this question often. And so by people who want to be entrepreneurs, but they've never Mm -hmm. actually had that experience. And so one of the things that I tell people is think about the brands that you love. First of all, identify what are those brands? What is their mission? Why do they exist? Simon Sinek's book about why. Why is really important. It's not just a nice to have thing. If to sustain a brand or to sustain a business, as you know, it just requires incredible dedication. And so yeah. you want to make sure you direct your passion and your energy towards something that really matters to you. The next thing that I often say is, what is the problem? Okay, this is why you exist. What's the problem you want to solve? And is anybody else solving it? And in addition, not only is anybody else solving it, but are there any really big enabling platform companies like a Facebook or an Apple or whatever that could do that business if they wanted to? Because if there is, think of something else. Because they have more money than you, more resources, more time. And I've seen a lot of people get crushed by the horrible wave of seeing their idea implemented by a much, much larger company before they ever have the chance to bring it to market. So I think that's a worthwhile thing to spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time thinking about. It doesn't mean don't do it. It just means do it with your eyes open and have a plan. Then have your plan be that you're going to try and sell to one of those companies. That's actually what you're building towards and design that way. And so those two things are very important. I think the other thing is, frankly, I just could never have run a startup having gone directly from Apple. I really needed that experience of seeing firsthand working in a startup and seeing how another CEO who was very seasoned ran that startup and making my own judgments about what was good and what was bad, but just understanding the mechanics, it's complex. Mm. Okay. The last point, which I could go on on this topic, by the way, for hours, (laughs) but I would say is think about money. Do you need capital to implement your idea? Are you an engineer and you can just build that idea all on your own? Or even for that matter, a designer who knows enough front end design that you could do an MVP that you could show people and raise money on that. You really need to think about how money gets raised. And it's really, really hard. Do not underestimate how hard it is to raise money. You might have been a big hotshot at your corporate job. But when you go to raise money, it is humble pie. 
So prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean don't do it. It means do it, but be really strategic about it. And I really benefited from this myself. Get as much advice as possible from the people around you who know something about fundraising. And if you don't know those people, reach out to them. Reach out to people you know who run startups, who have raised. And even if you have to reach out to them cold on LinkedIn, let them know you're not looking for a job, but you just want some advice. And most people, I think, will give it to you if they can. When you're running a startup, you don't have a lot of free time. But I often try my hardest to give people some space to share what I know. This is a great opportunity doing this with you, right? Now, whoever is listening, if they were thinking about starting a startup, this is what I would tell you. (laughs) But there is a way to raise money. It's very specific. And there are specific things investors are looking for. Until someone told me that and explained it to me, I really had no idea. Despite having run business affairs at Apple, there was just no connection. A totally different experience. No, I really hear that. And so true. I did a interview with Olivia and she was raising and we were just chatting around exactly that, what that looks like. And in our membership, we're actually going to do a success kit on that because I feel like it's oh wonderful questions that are not really answered. And we've had this conversation throughout this interview, actually, of being able to say, I don't know, is sometimes really difficult in those spaces because they yeah. want you to be seen or, yeah, you know how to run a business or you expect to all the ins and outs. So when that isn't the case, you kind of feel like, well, where do I go to? Who do I ask? Like, how do I understand this information? So we've actually yeah. a few women about, we have these success kits. They're like videos and we release one a month and we're going to put one in there because it definitely has been highlighted to us that this is a conversation that's just not really being had in the open. Unless you know people, it is hard to find out. I was Googling stuff and I'm like, it's really hard to find. And you yeah. have to know and ask questions too. It's humiliating for everybody, right? You're going into a room and it's the ultimately judgy situation where when you're an early stage startup, like you're trying to raise a seed round, because that's the first thing you're going to do. Maybe you'll look for angel investors if you know some, but you're going to try and raise early money. You're totally being judged on who you are. And you're right that actually that is the one place where you cannot ever signal that you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) It's like anywhere else in life, it's fine. Well, maybe not if you're operating on somebody, but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, we'd like our surgeons to be good. <laughs> yes, we like our surgeons to be very confident. Please don't let me know if you're not confident about that. So, but it's true. So, when you go into that room, you need to puff yourself up like a peacock. There are a lot of gender dynamics that play out as mm. well. There are some women investors, in my experience, some of them are amazing. And some of them are not because they're human beings and they're just like everybody else. They're investors who are going to give you money if they think they can make money with Mm -hmm. you. And so you have to go in that room to prove that out. And there is a way to do it. And I think that's great that you're going to help your listeners with that because it is really tricky and there's a lot of rejection involved. And for those who go through it, I will say the first time I went out to raise money for the first round of True Botanicals, I met with over 150 different investors. Wow. Thanks for sharing that number. That is a good number for people to know. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Now, when I raised our A round and we had experienced all this great growth, it was easy. We were oversubscribed or whatever. But in the beginning, before you've proven out something, it can be really difficult. It's not a measure of the value of your idea. It's a lot of chemistry with investors and your ability to articulate what they need to hear to give you money. The story you tell. Yeah. 
I love that. Well, listen, thank you so much, Christina, about having this conversation and just being an open book because this is what this podcast is about, is lifting the lid and sharing the behind the scenes. And it's just so important for us to have these conversations and allow women to see, actually, you know, if you want to start a business, do it, but also educate yourself before doing that and get those experiences that are going to help you on your way because it's not required. It's not a requirement, but it certainly helps like you should. Makes it easier. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so, so much. And so thank you for our listeners to share with us their favorite takeaways from this episode. And so I would love for you, if you have enjoyed it, share with us your favorite bits, tag myself at Danielle County, tag at bossbabe.inc. And also Christina, would you like to share your handles on where people can Oh, find sure. You? My handle is at Mabmaker on Instagram oh, I love it. and <laughs> where can they find more about Mab and Stoke because I also know people have been listening going, yes. on a minute. I also need these herbal goodness <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so I didn't even say we make custom Mab tabs which is my favorite way to get your Mab tab but come to mabandstoke.com and we'll tell you all about our products on the site oh. but thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it it was really fun to talk with you yeah, thank you so much Christina all right If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more and please leave us a review. I really want to hear what you enjoyed, what your main takeaways were. And I also want to know what you want to hear us talk about next. To say thanks for leaving us a review, we'll send you a copy of The Boss Babe 25. The Boss Babe 25 is the 25 essential resources you need for personal and professional growth. It covers everything from our favorite rituals, books, and hacks. If you want a copy, just leave us a review, screenshot it, and send to podcast at bossweb.com. We will then email you a copy ASAP. And since we love Instagram, you can go to the hashtag The Boss Babe Podcast and find our latest post and leave a question in the comments. We love reading through the comments and we'll make sure to answer it on our next podcast. 